Welcome back, everyone, to the Why Not Us podcast on Spotify. Happy 2021. I have my guests here, or my co-hosts, Josh Spaeth and Carter Yates. Happy New Year to both of you. We have a very exciting show. First one of the year, college basketball conference play, tipping off with a bang. And we'll get into a little fun version to start off this podcast little game I like to call buy or sell. I will give a statement to both of my co-hosts and they will either say yes for buy or no for sell. So let's get it going, guys. How's everyone doing today? Doing very well. Happy to be back in the new year and talking the best stuff in the world, college hoops. Yeah, college hoops is in full swing right now and I'm excited to talk about it. I missed you guys. We took a bit of an extended break, but it's good. Know. Yeah, it's good to be back talking to both of you about everyone's favorite sport in the world. But uh, let's get to the first statement, buy or sell. Our first one's going to start with the top team in the country. Will the Gonzaga Bulldogs finish the season with a zero in the loss column? I'll start with Carter. I'm going to say no. And while Gonzaga looks like one of the most polished teams that we've seen in recent memory, I just don't see them going through the West Coast Conference unscathed. And I'm looking at their schedule right now, and they don't. I don't think they play a ranked team for the rest of the season. But I just see them slipping up at one point. They've got two more games versus BYU. They play tomorrow at 7.30. I know we might talk about that one a little later. And then they also finish the season uh, at BYU. And I think that finishing game of the season, when Gonzaga is probably going to have the one seed locked up, I think they're going to – um, let off the gas a little bit. And I think BYU is a very good team. Like we've talked about before, they had a great win over San Diego State. And I think BYU is going to have a lot to play for that game. I think BYU on February 27th is going to upset Gonzaga. So book that right now. So I'm going to go a little contrarian on this. And honestly, I was kind of thinking no as well for that exact same reason before. But I'm going to go ahead and say yes for this specific reason. This Gonzaga team is so good, okay? They dismantle everybody. They can put up 100 points at will against almost anybody that they need to. They almost have done that in every single game. Like, even when they went to Virginia, which is heralded for the last who knows how many years as having one of the best defenses, they dropped 98 in Charlottesville. Like, this team can go off whenever they want to. I think barring an injury to at least one, maybe two of their top guys, because, I mean, you take down Kispert, you take down Timmy, they still have got more shooters. Jalen Suggs is still going to hurt you from the three-point line. And in the regular season, I don't think that the, this BYU team is as strong as they were last year, especially when they were able to knock off a team like San Diego State. But I, I just don't see it happening. So I think in the regular season, it's going to be no losses. They might slip up and miss the conference championship in the conference tournament. But if we're talking about the regular season, I, I can see him doing it. I agree with both of you. Good points. But my take is I think they will slip up one time and I think they will have to play BYU three times, one including in the West Coast tournament, a West Coast conference tournament. I think BYU will come away with one of those wins. And I think the key to that is BYU is going to probably be desperate for a marquee win in the West Coast Conference if they want that large resume. And I think that game against Gonzaga, uh, the last regular season game of the year, is very intriguing. And then also possibly in the tournament uh, in March. But um, getting to our next question from buy or sell, will the North Carolina Tar Heels be left at home on Selection Sunday? They did pick up a key win last night, 65-63 over the Miami Hurricanes. I'll start with Josh on this one. So as much as I think that North Carolina is not the prime team that they used to be, I think you made a key point there. Really needed that win in Miami last night. I don't think that it's going to be a full, you know, powerful surge that really turns this team around. You know, we've talked a lot about the inexperience on this roster and just the inability to really meld together. So I think they're, they're still going to struggle a little bit through ACC play. Luckily for them, the ACC is a little weaker this year than it usually is, especially when, the, when, the, when they're still one of the top contenders in there. But I think they might have a few bad losses by the end of the year and still slip in as maybe an eight or nine. 
I don't think they're going to make any kind of a splash in the tournament, but I do still see them making it. Yeah, I see them making it, but this team to me screams eight, nine seed, and then just getting absolutely smacked in the first game of the NCAA tournament. I don't think this is a very good team. I know Roy Williams is a great coach, and I give him, I am really banking on him to carry them into the NCAA tournament. I think that ACC tournament is going to be huge for them. I think they're going to go in to that ACC tournament really needing to make some noise and get at least one to two wins in the tournament to seal their spot. Um, But I don't think they have the talent this year. I don't think they have the alpha dog like we talked about last episode. And no one on this team is stepping up and willing to be the leader, the leading scorer. And I think for that reason, they're going to get bounced very early in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and uh, I think they just don't have enough uh, personnel this year to make a run in the NCAA tournament, and they've obviously struggled to defend anyone in the country. They did an okay job against Miami last night, but Miami was missing a couple key guys. Uh, Speaking of Blue Bloods in the NCAA tournament, same question goes to Kentucky. Kentucky just picked up a monster win last night against Vanderbilt and a bigger win this past weekend against the Mississippi State Bulldogs in overtime, and they actually shot and made three-pointers in that game. They hit 11 of those. Um, they're now 3-6 and six and undefeated in an SEC that's kind of up in the air. Will the Kentucky Wildcats make the NCAA tournament? They're going to need a big turnaround, though, in SEC play. I'll start with uh, Carter. I loved the John Calipari spin zone that he had after the first SEC win, saying they were undefeated in conference after – you know, starting the season one and six, but wow, what a positive guy. What a great spin zone that he had there. Kentucky will not make the NCAA tournament, but they will be in the NIT championship. So congrats to Kentucky. I'm going to put them in there right now. I think they have, Kentucky always has a lot of talent, but I think they've been really hurt by COVID this year. And while they're gaining some confidence in these first few SEC games, I think they're going to sputter out here towards the end. And I don't think they play cohesively enough as a team. They have a lot of athletes, but, you know, Kentucky prides themselves on that one and done model. And I think that hurts them a lot in this COVID year. So I think once they get to the NIT tournament, they'll be able to out athlete teams and make some noise there. But I don't think NCAA tournament is in their fortune this year. I don't think they're making the NIT. I think. (laughs) To make the NIT, you have to be over 500, okay? Correct. I looked through their conference play. I would say that there are five, maybe six teams that are better than them in that they will lose at least one game, if not both of their games, to those teams. Those teams that I will list for you are Tennessee, Missouri. They might not lose both, but they'll lose one. I'm going to throw Florida on there. Alabama's been solid. Ole Miss might take a win. Arkansas might take a win. If you look at their conference play, they're 2-0 to start. I think it would be reasonable to say that they finish 9-9 in conference play. If they go 7-9 their remaining schedule, going into the tournament, they're going to be 10-15. Okay, So unless they win the SEC, they're not going to be over 500, and they're not going to go dancing. Like, I think it's really, really slept on that, yeah, I guess they had some mildly – not I wouldn't say they were super difficult games to start the season. Like, games against Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, maybe a North Carolina or a Louisville would have been nice. Richmond, like, obviously they lost to Kansas as well. But you lose every single one of those games. You start the season one and six, and, yeah, you get the first two close wins to start SEC play. You've got a lot of work to do in a conference that – isn't super strong, but you're going to have to work for it. So they may well make the NIT, but they have to get to 500 to do that. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and I, I, you th- I think you make a great point, Josh. They have a lot of work to do to make the NCAA tournament. Now as we're starting to see conference play get going and see some, uh, the, some of the teams that they played in the non-conference portion, they're not very good that the teams that they lost to. Carolina – Louisville, Richmond, I mean, they're good teams, possible NCAA tournament teams, but they're not anything special. None of them are ranked, I'm pretty sure. Georgia Tech's not that good, obviously. They have a bunch of COVID issues. The only good loss that they had was to Kansas, and they actually played pretty well in that game. 
but Notre Dame's not a good loss at all. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see if they even make that NIT. Uh, the SEC is, I think they have a chance to get over 500 just because of how poor the SEC is. And every game is going to come down to a possession or two and Kentucky's already finding out through their first two SEC games, but obviously going to be very intriguing. I don't remember the last time Kentucky was not in the NCAA tournament as I've followed college basketball all my life. So that would be pretty intriguing to me, but going to our next question, the big 10 is Arguably, without a doubt, the best conference in college basketball, top to bottom. They have a lot of great teams, Final Four teams, uh, second weekend, Sweet 16, Elite Eight teams. But will the Big Ten get 10 teams to the big dance in March? I will start with Josh on this one. I think we should probably go bottom up here. Um, pretty positive. Yeah, so there are there 14 or 15 teams in the Big Ten? It's 14, right? 14. 14. Okay, so that means that all but four teams are not going to make it. So Nebraska is probably the worst team in the Big Ten. They haven't done anything. Um, Penn State has not been great with the exception of the fact that they beat Virginia Tech by 20. Um, so they, they might make some waves in early conference play. They haven't looked great. They had a close game at Indiana, but Indiana is probably the next team that I would talk about in there as a team that's, that's a little iffy. For the time being, I'll say Indiana's fine. But then I look at, you know, Maryland. Maryland hasn't played that great, except they somehow went to Wisconsin and won. Um, you know, there's, there's a common theme here. You go to a team like Purdue. They beat Ohio State, who was undermanned at the time, but that's a quality win for them. So it's, it's really going to be interesting because if you look at the bottom of this conference, with the exception of Nebraska, every single team in this conference has won a meaningful game. So I don't know what the exact number is going to be, but I will just for fun say that I will buy into 10 teams making a tournament because that would be ridiculous. And I think that the big 10 is good enough that there's going to be some cannibalization of these teams that maybe be on the second or third tier of the conference, jumping up and winning in Madison. You know, if this kind of behavior continues to go on, this kind of performances go throughout the rest of January, February, and into March, then, you know, I, I see no reason why a bulk majority of this conference makes the dance. I'm going to say that because of the cannibalism effect in the Big Ten, 10 teams will not make it, and it'll be eight to nine. I think because everyone has the ability to beat anyone in the conference, that some teams are going to slip up. And as a result, they're going to lose some games they shouldn't and get knocked out. So we can go through some of the locks. Michigan, Jawan Howard effect, they're undefeated. They're in Illinois. They've got the eight foot tall and 300 pound Kofi Coburn, just absolute man child with Ayo Desunmu. And so they're going to be in Wisconsin's got like six 30 year olds. So they've got all the experience in the world. They're in Iowa, Luca Garza. They're in Northwestern. They're high up right now. But I don't know about them. I think they just had uh, some early an early season hot streak. I think Boo Booey is about to start cooling down. I think Northwestern's on the bubble. Indiana's on the bubble. Michigan State's on the bubble. There's way too many bubble teams in the Big Ten right now. Josh, what do you think about Michigan State? You think Michigan State's for sure in? I, I don't. Th I never said for sure in. I just had more of a reaction because Michigan State's kind of still a blue blood. And Michigan State not making the tournament, especially with like, like I could, I completely understand what you're saying. The fact that, you know, this is a really packed conference, but Michigan State doesn't have a bad loss. I mean, they, they beat Duke, they beat Notre Dame, they went, they beat Rutgers by 23 yesterday. That, that yes. was good. Like I, we've talked about Michigan State before, and I'll let you go back to your point. I just think that, you know, they're, they're probably closer to the top for me. Um, just because, you know, Tom Izzo is not going to let this team lose when it comes down the stretch. That's just, that's just Michigan state basketball for you. Well, okay. So we can, we can put Michigan as a lock, Michigan state as a lock, but then I would just put Ohio state, Indiana, Minnesota, and I'll knock Rutgers down to bubble material right now. I don't know what to make of Rutgers. There's some nights where they look awesome and then they come out for Michigan state and lay a complete egg. So, uh, there's way too many teams on the bubble here for me. And I think there's going to be some cannibalism and that's going to prevent 10 teams from getting in. Yeah, and I, I think you bring up a good point, cannibalism in the Big Ten Conference. 
In my personal view, I see only nine teams getting into the dance. I think Nebraska, Penn State, Maryland, Purdue are for sure not going to make it. I don't see them not getting enough uh, marquee wins in the conference to get in. Nebraska pretty much should pack their bags and go back to the cold in Lincoln and just set tail in the season because they're horrible. They lose every game by about a billion points. Penn State, they've lost a lot of people from the past years. They've had some coaching issues. They're not going to get in. Maryland has lost a lot of depth and talent from two years ago's NCAA tournament team. And um, Purdue has also lost a lot. Uh, they have a couple good wins. I just don't see them getting enough. And then I'm not sold on Indiana. I know we saw them play against uh, the Texas Longhorns in the Maui. And they just, they're really inconsistent. They re- rely a lot on Trace Jackson Davis, their star uh, guard. And uh, they're only two... Two of their wins right now in the Big Ten have come from Penn State and Maryland, and those two teams, as I mentioned, are not, in my opinion, going to make the dance, and they barely beat both of those teams. They've already lost to Illinois and Northwestern, and they don't really have a marquee win on their non-conference schedule, except if you count maybe Stanford. So I don't see them getting in, and so that's why I think there will be nine teams that make it. And then Ohio State and Northwestern, I think, are my two bubble teams that we'll see uh, come down to it uh, in March. But getting to our next question, we got two more to go here. Will the Creighton are the Creighton Blue Jays the best team in the Big East? In my opinion, they're the most talented team, but are they the best team and will they come in first at the end of the year? I'll start with Carter. Yes, Creighton will come in first at the end of the year. I think they're the most complete team in the Big East. And just by looking at their stats here, they've got five guys who are scoring in double figures right now. So on any given night, any of these guys can beat you. You know, you got Zigarowski right now, who's averaging 14.4 a game and with four rebounds and four assists. But then you've also got Denzel Mahoney, who is averaging 13 a game. You got Bishop and Jefferson at the forward spots and then Balak at the guard spot. They're all scoring in double figures. They're a complete team. And what is really interesting about Creighton is they are the best team that I've seen in turning a possession into a fast break when it shouldn't be a fast break, right? So the other team will, let's say, get a shot. And Creighton is the fastest team at getting the ball out of the net and then just throwing it up court. And they love to run and transition. And I think they really exhaust teams doing that. I think Creighton is the most complete team in the big East right now. And I love their ability to win close games and, and show fight, especially when they're playing teams like Kansas. And then when they're even in the big East, you know, the big East is a gauntlet year in and year out. And they're coming away with, with close wins, which I really like to see out of them. So yes, I think they're going to finish number one in the big East. So I think this question is really interesting because I think we can all agree at least for the time being now, unless something drastically changes in the next couple of months, Villanova and Creighton are the top two teams in the Big East. And as we know, Villanova has been dealing with COVID issues, so we haven't really been able to see them break open conference play like some of the rest of the teams. But I also agree. I think Creighton can be the best team in this conference if they continue to play the way that they do. I think that when Villanova comes back from their COVID issues, they might take a little bit to get back into the full swing of things they might drop an easy game or two and it's really going to come down to when these two teams play each other which we're not going to we're not going to see until mid-February and then late February um, actually early March so I think for the time being I'm willing to lock my voting for Creighton I think Carter you make a lot of good points about their offense I think they do a pretty good job uh, keeping track of the ball as well so I think when it comes down to it obviously it's really going to see if they can beat Villanova, but I think they can do it. Yeah, and I think I agree with both of you. I think they will win the Big East Conference. I think Villanova will take home the Big East Conference Championship uh, in March, but I think Creighton's a more complete team. They are very battle-tested already. They've won a lot of close games, and they've come back from a lot of close games as well, which I like the makeup of their team because they're also very experienced Christian Bishop hit a go-ahead dunk with 0.8 seconds in their win this past weekend at Providence, 67-65. And for that reason, I like Creighton to win the Big East. Our last question of 
our buy or sell segment here today. Will there be two bids out of the Missouri Valley and the West Coast Conference? I'll start with Josh on this one. So I think the West Coast Conference could, but I don't think the Missouri Valley will. And we'll talk about Drake a little later on. I love him. They're 11-0 against the spread this year, which is unbelievable. But I think the only really good team in this conference besides them is Loyola Chicago. In the past, when there's been two really good teams in this conference, we usually see maybe the better of them faults really early on in the conference tournament, and that's not looked upon favorably. As you can remember, that exact same thing happened with Northern Iowa this past year right before COVID hit. I think that's likely going to happen, and then you'll probably see the second best of those two teams make it through the conference tournament. But the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, year in, year out, is ridiculous. Like, Bradley will come out of nowhere as the seventh seed and win it. You know, when Loyola Chicago had their crazy run, obviously they were the top dog, but that was like one of very, very few instances where the top team in this conference coming out of the regular season season actually pulls through. So I think the only way that two teams coming out of the Missouri Valley would happen is if maybe they both met in the championship after, you know, a great year or, you know, one of them only lost in the semifinal, but just based on like track record of this conference, one of them is going to lose earlier on and fall apart. And I think it'll just be one. I would love to play contrarian for our final buy or sell sec- section, but I got to agree with you, Josh. I think Missouri Valley is going to be Drake. And then I think West coast conference will have to, and I think it's going to be Gonzaga and BYU. So that's what I'm thinking right now. I know BYU is only third in the West Coast Conference right now. But like I was talking about before, I think BYU is going to be really hungry for some signature wins down the stretch here. And they've got – they're now in the heat of West Coast Conference play. And I think BYU is better than almost every West Coast Conference team. So they should have no problem in this conference play. And I think they're going to steal a game from Gonzaga, which is going to be really good for them. So I think – that will propel them into getting a bid for the NCAA tournament. So BYU, two teams from West Coast Conference, one team from Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah, and I agree with the, both of you guys. I think BYU is going to be that second team out of the West Coast Conference. Obviously, they want to look to sweep St. Mary's because that's the best win that they can get other than Gonzaga in the conference. And then I think they're able to steal one against Gonzaga and that will put them over the edge for an at-large bid. For the Missouri Valley, I do think Loyola Chicago is still the best team in this conference. And we'll find that out this weekend against Drake, the huge matchup this Sunday and Monday, a double header a a little bit. And um, we'll see who's the best team, but obviously credit to Drake for getting off to a 13 and 0 start. And they are 13 and 0 against the spread. And they had a great weekend over Southern Illinois uh, this past uh, week to start the new year. So I look forward to that game coming up. But I do think only one team will get in because Drake can't get those marquee wins out of conference because of COVID and scheduling issues. Their best win was K-State, and we know how bad K-State is out of the Big 12. So I think only one team will get in from the Missouri Missouri Valley. But now let's get into... Our team, the Texas Longhorns, they are incredible. They are number four in the country. They went to Fog Allen, where no one wins ever, but they somehow won by 20-something points, I believe. They killed them in the second half. They were up eight at half, and they just expanded on that lead in the second half. They've had a lot of different players emerge this year. I just want to talk about what you guys, whatever you guys want to say, but uh, this team is different from years past. They got the experience. They have the guard play. Andrew Jones has played exceptional the last few games, especially last night. Uh, I, they have so many different options. They're big. They're lengthy. They're athletic. This team has a chance to do something special this year. They're now number four in the AP poll, which is very exciting. But if you guys just want to touch on what happened this past weekend against Kansas and why they were so successful in pulling off their best win of the season. So I want to talk about two different components of this team that I was impressed by. The first of them is that, you know, Texas in the past has had issues where either they're down early or they're up early and they give it away. And it just makes for more of a difficult game. 
they had the lead for the entirety of this game at Kansas. And in itself, that's very, very impressive. And this Kansas team is not by any means a bad team. Like they're playing incredibly well this year. What I was so impressed by within that stretch was our three-point shooting. I was baffled in the second half as we were expanding on the lead. We made seven consecutive threes, and it was all different guys. Like People are just making good passes. I know, Adam, you and I were talking about the number of assists this team was having out of nowhere. They were finding the open guys in transition, and they were just drilling bucket after bucket and playing defense on the other end. So I was super impressed by that. The second thing I'll say is that because of that passing and because of the understanding that just about anybody on this team can put up good numbers in a given game. Greg Brown, as we've talked about, has been wonderful. He was shooting okay in this game, only put up five points and five rebounds and was actually only in the game for 17 minutes. And it didn't matter. Jericho Sims decided he wants to be a big, strong, big man again, that actually starts off. And he played really well against Iowa state too. And as you said, Andrew Jones has been great. Ramey was shooting super well. Kai Jones off the bench, even Donovan Williams. We're talking about a team of only eight active guys on this roster at Kansas, and they still put up 84 points between the eight of them easily. And I was just so impressed by the fact that on any given night, there can be one, two guys that step up, and they don't have to be the same ones that did the night before. There's no question about it. I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> Texas Longhorns are a different beast than I have seen since I've wa- been watching Texas basketball closely. And it's so shocking to me that this team is playing like this because it's basically minus Greg Brown, the same exact crew from last year where announcers were saying they're playing country club basketball. And now they're all dogs. Like all of them, have just flipped a switch, and I don't know what it is about this crew, but they're playing together. They're playing hard. They're all diving on loose balls. I see Greg Brown, superstar freshman, probably going to be one and done just diving on the floor versus Iowa State yesterday. The effort on this team is insane, and while it hurts, I think that we lost Will Baker and Gerald Liddell because we already are a little like short in our rotation. I think that can almost help Shaka because Shaka is a coach that really likes to play everyone at the expense of riding with guys and letting them get that momentum. I think Shaka is a coach that almost does is almost more comfortable playing a seven to eight man rotation. I think that's exactly what he's got here. Cause he's got eight dogs. He's got eight guys who work well together and are playing team basketball. And I think the missing piece for Texas in the early season was Jericho Sims and boy, is he back. I mean, in Kansas, Iowa State is Big 12 play now, and he is ramping it up. And he's finally like, he's had spurts of this his whole Texas career where he just realizes, oh, wait, I'm bigger and stronger and faster than anybody that I played against. But he's finally like taking that and deciding that he's just going to impose his will on the offensive glass. And it's, it's really special to watch. Uh, like I said, I tried this whole preseason to not get my hopes up because Texas is known for starting fast and fluttering down the stretch. But that Kansas game, it really, really changed my mind, and it got me all in for the first time, I think. Yeah, and as you guys have talked about, this team is just – they're all – the key difference is they're all bought in this year. They – and what makes a sign of a great team is on any given night, a different player can show up and lead the team to victory. And I think that's what we've seen from Texas. We have nights where Greg Brown is the star of the show. Matt Coleman hits a big basket at the end. Courtney Ramey comes in and does his job. Andrew Jones, like last night against Iowa State, takes over the game and hits a bunch of three balls. And I think that's the key difference. And you have five starters that are getting – consistently double-digit uh, scoring efforts, uh, which is great to see. And I, as you uh, mentioned, Carter, the emergence of Jericho Sims, and I think Matt Coleman, we've had spurts of them throughout their careers here at Texas where they've played great basketball, but they're f- finally showing that they can do it on a consistent basis every night. And this Texas team is something fun to watch. They're a fun product, and they're definitely, I think, the second-best team behind Baylor in the Big 12 and speaking of the Big 12, they have a monster, monster game this Saturday against West Virginia. 
Uh, West Virginia is coming off an incredible comeback win against Oklahoma State the other night. If we're looking at this game, it's a matchup, not problem, but a match a, a good matchup because West Virginia is a little different than Kansas. They play physical. They play tough. They have a lot of big guys. A player that I'm looking out for is obviously Jarek, or uh, Derek Culver. Excuse me. He had a monster game against Oklahoma State where he had 22 points and 19 rebounds. West Virginia is not afraid to play physical, and that's what Texas' strengths have been is out-physicaling teams this season and kind of dominating them uh, athletically and physically on the board. So I think this is going to be a very intriguing matchup. But from your guys' perspective, what are you looking for in this monster top 15 Big 12 showdown this Saturday. I think this game is going to be a lot tougher for us than our game against Kansas. And I think it has to do a lot with what you were just discussing and the way that we actually match up against both of these teams. You know, the Kansas game was going to come down to a lot of guard play. And when they switched our forwards onto their guards, they were still able to play great defense and do a lot of great shot blocking and pressure the three. West Virginia is not going to play like that. West Virginia is going to send their two guys Derek Culver, and I'm sorry, I'll try to pronounce his name, Oscar Shibwe, who both average over three offensive rebounds a game. The offensive glass has been Bob Huggins' calling since he got to this team. It has always been about that. He always goes after big men and then gets guards on the perimeter, but they're going to be battling inside with Jericho Sims, Greg Brown, Kai Jones. Adam, as you can remember, when we discussed, you know, the prospect of having these great big men with Shaka Smart before the season, he mentioned the idea of playing all three of those guys, Sims, Greg Brown, and Kai Jones. I think this is the game that you do that. I think this is the game where you say to West Virginia, not only do we have great big men inside who will body you, but our guards are better than yours. And if we can prove that and keep track of the ball and continue to just share it and find the open man, we should play a great game against this West Virginia team, but it's going to be a darn right physical game inside, and we're going to have to play it as well as they can. This game to me is the Spider-Man meme, and it's Texas, West Virginia, as the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other because they play basically almost the same style of basketball. I wouldn't be surprised if the final score of this game is like 35 to 32. I mean, it is going <laughs> to press defense, big body defense inside the paint. It's going to be downright gross at some times, I think, on terms of, in terms of the offensive end. But I would like to walk back my take I literally just had about two minutes ago about Jericho Sims being bigger and stronger than anyone he plays against because Derek Culver, uh, forgot about that guy. I mean, geez, he watched him versus Oklahoma State just imposing his will on Oklahoma State's big men was something to watch. I think um, – a strategy would be not letting Derek Culver have any of his easy inside paint shots. I think we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be in some foul trouble this game because Derek Culver cannot hit free throws whatsoever. I mean, he shoots about fifty percent from the line, so I don't want to see Derek Culver getting any easy dunks or any easy layups. He's got to earn it at the free throw line, and I think if we do that, I think that'll be huge for the team and then the hype train is going to be out of control if we win this game uh, like Kansas was one thing but if we go into West Virginia and after especially after last season getting beat like 98 to 57 or whatever it was like it's going to just display how different this team is and the hype train is going to be out of control I'm really intrigued about this game it could go either way for me yeah, I think this game is going to come down to one of those final possessions where a team is going to have two to three or four shot attempts for the winner, kind of like what I saw a couple of weeks ago between the, I think it was the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game uh, down in Norman. This is a very intriguing matchup, as we've talked about. Should be a lot of fun. Obviously, one of those games where Texas, if you get this win, everyone is going to be talking about you. You're going to be in the discussion they already are for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And there's going to be discussion on is Texas as good as Baylor. And that is a fun discussion to have that we might have on the next show next week. If we're able to pull out this win against West Virginia, very much looking forward to this, obviously a marquee game for sure. Uh, before we get into some of the marquee games uh, on this 
podcast. Let's talk about a few mid-major storylines. Obviously, we've talked about the Drake Bulldogs, so we will start with them. They are 13-0 and this season. They have a zero in the loss column. Not many teams have that right now. They are also have covered every spread if you're a better at home uh, this season, and they look really good. They obviously are shooting lights out. From distance, from two-point range, they're one of the most offensively pleasing mid-major teams in the country, and they're led by a, a bunch of different guys, but obviously one name that comes to mind is Roman Penn, and they have a monster game this weekend, two monster games because of the scheduling format against Loyola Chicago. So if you guys just want to talk about Drake and what they could possibly bring during the Missouri Valley play, and how far can this success story go? Yeah, so shout out to my father, Stuart Spaeth, proud alum of the Drake Bulldogs. This team has made the tournament a couple times in the last few decades, usually at the hands of heartbreak with losses to teams like Western Kentucky. But I really think that this team, who, by the way, is 11-0 against the spread because there were not spreads in games against St. Ambrose and McKendree early on in the season. I really think this team proved that it can beat a solid team like Southern Illinois, who has, you know, a great win over Butler this year and was playing relatively well up until this game in the first game, they won by 18. And as you know, we've kind of seen a little bit with this back-to-back conference play, how are you going to play after seeing this team literally the next night, they went out, let up the same number of points and scored 86 this time, instead of 73 beat them by 31. Like they're, They're just going out and they're shooting the ball so well. It's unbelievable. They're averaging 84 points a game right now. And Roman Penn is playing well, but Shanquan Hemphill has been their best guy. He's a senior from Gary, Indiana, strong forward that they've got. that can also just be a great shooter. I think when they go up against Loyola, as we've discussed, that's going to be the moment of truth. I think Loyola kind of needed a couple of years to rebuild and regroup and get a couple of guys that they could build out to have some maturity, which is usually what we see with these, you know, smaller schools, mid-major schools ever since their final four run in 2018. I think they're ready to go. They're going to be a tough contender. This game will definitely be the test for Drake, but if they can win one, if not both of these games, I will be all over their hype train. I just wanted, I'm looking at these stats right here. I wanted to go over the field goal percentage of their top four or five scores. So we got Hemphill, who is at, who is shooting at 59.2%, Penn shooting at 59.2%, Wilkins, who's a guard, shooting 51%, Yasufu shooting 52.3%, and Sturts shooting 57.1%. All of their top scores are making more than half of their shots. When have we seen this in college basketball before? This is insane. And then if I just go to the three-point percentage right here, Hemphill, 33.3%, making one-third of his shots. Penn, making 44.4%. Wilkins, 53%. Yasufu, 39.4%. And then Sturts, you know, 25%. So not as good. But now we've got their top four players shooting better than one-third. So their top scorers are overall making more than half their shots and then making more than a third of their three point field goal attempts. I don't know how you stop that. Um, I I think Drake is a for real team. I don't think the hype is out of control, but I do want to see how they do playing. Like you're talking about Josh playing two straight games against Loyola uh, Chicago. I want to see how they can, if they lose that first game, how they bounce back and try to win it. Or if they win that game, how they keep their foot on the gas. And play, and then they also do that. I'm pretty sure at the very end they play Bradley on the 26th and the 27th. So that those are the two tests I want to see them complete uh, this season. But right now they're shooting it lights out, obviously, and it's a crazy story. Yeah, and as you talked about, just the efficiency that their offense—not just one guy, but their whole starting lineup—pretty much is doing. And it's a very contrast of styles that we'll see this weekend when they play Loyola Chicago, who likes to play very slow, kind of like Virginia, keep the game in the fifties. And they have two guys in particular that I want to mention that were on that Final Four team a few years back, and they—they they have a star, Cameron. Cut wig if I pronounce his name correctly. 
He is he was a freshman on that Final Four team, and he's now a senior, and he is averaging 16.4 points a game. And then you have Tate Hall, who have, has 9.2 points a game. He's one of the shooters on Loyola Chicago. So they still have that experience, and they have Porter uh, Moser, if I believe that's the coach's name, that was the coach for the Final Four team. This is going to be – the this is going to be one of those games where you're facing a Lyle Chicago team. That's been the class of the Missouri Valley for the last four to five years or so. Can they overcome that Drake and do it against a team like Lyle Chicago? And I believe the game is at Drake, even though there won't be that many fans, they're a big opportunity for them. I think if they just can come away with one win, they would be super successful and they can move on to face a Northern Iowa team the following week and, build off of that but i'm very much looking forward to the back-to-back games with those two teams another mid-major that we have not talked about really at all on the show i just want to give them some love i know they haven't played a lot of good teams but they have not lost and if you have not lost and we're in january i don't care if there's covid and you've played one game you should be recognized on this show so we will recognize them the winthrop eagles out of the big south conference they are undefeated, 6-0. and They've already played six conference games, and they've won all of them, and they're 9-0 and overall. They obviously didn't play a great non-conference schedule, but they have two wins I want to – they have three wins I want to point out. All three in their non-conference games were against quality mid-major opponents, UNCG, Little Rock, and Furman. Three really good teams. Little Rock, the favorite out of the, the Sun Belt Conference, and then you have two – possible favorites out of the uh south southern conference trying to remember all these names off the top of my head but really good games and they can score a lot of points they shoot very well they have a bunch of different scores that are doing it for winthrop in particular charles falden who's averaging 13.6 he's a senior they have a lot of experience they've been one of the top teams in this conference for a few years now and i'm looking forward to see how far they can go because in the Big South, no offense, they're not playing that great of competition. Maybe Radford's the other okay team, but I think they can run the table a little bit and see how far this team can go. I, I don't know if you guys know a lot about them, but if you want to talk about anything that you see off the bat. Yeah, I'll just note on top of what you said that, you know, usually it's between Winthrop and Radford for taking this conference, you know, Radford in the past, when they make it, they're usually sitting around a 14 or a 15 Winthrop's jumped up to a 13 once or twice before and had a scare on some four seeds. So I think it's probably another one of those Winthrop 13 seed kind of years. And you're right. This team can shoot the ball really well. There's a lot of offense in this conference for the most part. So I can definitely see them making a, a huge swing in their conference play. You know, if they, make a great season of only a couple of losses and they really have those three relatively probably quad two wins by the end of the season. I think that'll play really, really well with the committee and they could even be looking at something of an at large if they make it to their conference championship and lose. I think Winthrop has some of the best guard play in the nation. Their top three scorers are guards. They're led by Charles, Charles Falden, who is the leading scorer uh, he's a guard senior, averaging 13.6 points to lead the team. The A button on his controller doesn't work. He's got 0.4 assists, but he is the top scorer on that team. And then I want to point out Chandler Valdrin. He's also a senior, 6'7", 210, as a guard, a little bit of a Magic Johnson type. I'm not saying him and Magic Johnson are the same skill set, but same similar body type. Uh, he's averaging 11.4 and then seven rebounds and eight assists a game. So he's kind of the do it all prospect for them. Uh, I think Winthrop has a chance to make a lot of noise, especially not playing the best of competition. Sorry if their opponents are listening to the podcast, but I think Winthrop has a chance to maybe sneak in the NCAA tournament here. Yeah. And I, as you guys talked about, I think this team is a 12, 13 seed that could scare a lot of teams if they're making their shots, if they make the big dance. But I thought we should give them a mention because they are 9-0 and so far this season. Our last bit, a mid-major story uh, line team that I want to talk about today are the Belmont Bruins. I've been a fan of this team ever since they gave the Duke Blue Devils a scare back in, I believe, 2008. They lost by one point. They were a 15 seed. And that's when I got on the Belmont hype train. And ever since then, they haven't let, really let me down. They're consistently 
the best team, if not the second best team in their conference every year out of the Ohio Valley. And they're off to another exceptional start. They lose. They lost Dylan Windler, obviously, who was an NBA player two years ago from that incredible team that should have beat Maryland in the NCAA first round tournament, but they did pick up a win against Temple. Um, they're 10 and one this year. They obviously had a bad loss to Samford, the game that they obviously did not play any defense against, but I watched the game a couple weeks ago against Murray state. Who's obviously the other class of the conference and they handled them pretty easily in a big rivalry game. They won that 68 55 and they're a very efficient team. They love uh, their style of offense. They shoot quality shots and they can score it. Uh, Grayson Murphy is a great example of that kind of, he's the leader of the offense. And then you have a guy uh, down low, Nick Musinski, who's been on this Belmont team for a while now. He is a junior. He's been, has that tournament experience and they're very well coached. Casey Alexander is their coach, uh, former Lipsicum head coach who sent his team to the NIT final four, uh, few years ago the same year that texas was in i believe they played texas in the national championship of the nit i believe is that correct josh uh yes they lost to texas in the championship of the yes they did yeah so obviously a good coach there and this team is really good they're 10 and 1 they're undefeated in conference play and i think that they have a potential as we talked about to be a similar team to Winthrop a 12 or probably a 13 seed and give a team some scares Uh, anything that jumps out to you guys from looking at this uh, Belmont Bruin team yeah I mean they can't play like they did against Samford they need to play defense Um, I think Murray State's a little weaker this year than they usually are Um, they're four and five and one and three in conference play Um, seems like a team's like Jacksonville State Austin P and Eastern Kentucky are likely going to be the contenders in there. So I'd be curious to see how they play against them, but Belmont's always a team that's pretty interesting to watch when it comes to February and March. And they do a pretty good job in a really, really weird format of the Ohio Valley where they usually only have to play like two games to win the championship. So they could easily be one of the teams to be scared of in March. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched a second of Belmont this year because all their games are on ESPN Plus and I have not made that investment. So I should probably get on that. But like you're saying, Josh, I mean, Belmont is always a team that I see on the NCAA tournament bracket. And literally, I don't think I've ever watched a second of their regular season, but I always pick them for some reason in the first round. It, I think that's kind of the effect of like, oh, if they had a close game versus Duke that one time, it's like, well, they're just <laughs> forever. We're going to put Belmont ahead and like, oh, that sneaky upset pick. Uh, but I'm looking again, looking at the stats here, and they got a guard, Luke Smith, who's shooting 45.7% from the three-point land. Uh, obviously, sharp shooter right there. So I think Belmont is also a beneficiary of kind of a weaker conference this year. Just looking at their schedule, a lot of the teams that are uh, set to play have like losing, like losing records. And I don't think Murray State is very strong this year. So they're going to benefit from that. But, you know, like you're saying, Josh, Jackson State's going to be a team they really need to have a good performance against. Austin P right now is six and six and four. And then I'm also looking here, there's one other team that caught my eye. Oh, Eastern Kentucky here is nine and two. So that will be a very important game for them coming in the future and doing some advanced reading. I know this game isn't until February 25th, but Eastern Kentucky right now favored to win that game. I know a lot could happen between now and then, but that'll be a huge test and probably will determine their NCAA tournament fate. Yeah. So we will see obviously a lot of mid-major storylines to look out for as we head towards the end of the podcast. Let's highlight some big upcoming games. And when the big 10 is this good, Pretty much every game that we look forward to is from the Big Ten Conference. So we'll start with the Minnesota Golden Gophers against the Michigan Wolverines. That game is tonight. We are recording on Wednesday, January 6th. So obviously when you hear this, it will probably have already happened. So let's kind of get your guys' analysis and a prediction for a big game in the Big Ten Conference tonight between two uh, ranked Big Ten teams. So as an Ohio State kid, as a family, born to absolutely hate anything maize and blue, 
Um, but this Michigan basketball team has been hard to bet against. Uh, they had a great 19-point win against Northwestern. They haven't really had any other challenges in the Big Ten in this game is at home. They have to go to Minnesota in 10 days, actually. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that game. But I do see Michigan winning this game and probably by about eight or nine points. Yeah, so I think Michigan's going to win, and that means everyone needs to go hammer Minnesota tonight on um, <laughs> betting because we jinxed the absolute bejesus yeah. last time we were on. Uh, I think Michigan is going to stay undefeated here, although Marcus Carr uh, is a great player for Minnesota. I think he's going to make a lot of noise, and really his draft stock is going to soar. I think Michigan's just a complete team right now, and I really like Jawan Howard, what he's doing over there. Um, I think – so wait, who, who's at home tonight? Is Michigan at home tonight? Yeah, Michigan's at yeah. home. Michigan's at home tonight. I think Michigan's going to take the one at home, and I think Minnesota's going to take the one at home. It's gonna, they're going to flip-flop here is, is my prediction. But like I said, go hammer Minnesota tonight. I also yeah you should definitely hammer Minnesota because I'm on the Michigan bandwagon for thinking that they are really good because they've gone off to such a hard uh, hot start and the one player that comes to my mind that has made this difference uh, for this team is a freshman Hunter Dickinson he I watched him against I believe it was Maryland on New Year's Eve and he was phenomenal he was getting baskets at will down low he has great post moves he can shoot it from outside as well and he's also a menace on the boards averaging eight a game I think he's been the key to Michigan's success so far so look for him to have a really good game tonight but since I'm mentioning him he'll probably have his worst game of the season but we'll see uh, going to another big game we've talked about a little bit it's happening tomorrow got rescheduled because of COVID issues with some other teams from the conference BYU I believe goes to Spokane uh, to play Gonzaga a monster game for the Bulldogs and for the Cougars of BYU is this the night we've talked about we think BYU could pull off an upset will they do it tomorrow night I think it's a little early I think that it'll likely be close in the first half and then Gonzaga will do what Gonzaga does and they will just absolutely put the pedal to the metal and I could honestly, the total in this game is currently at 163 and a half. I could see Gonzaga putting up 90, 95 points at will. Yeah, I think Gonzaga is going to win tomorrow. I think BYU's upset is going to come on the 27th. But Gonzaga right now is still uh, all gas, no breaks. I think BYU is only going to have a chance to beat them when they take their foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy, I mean, what a dynamic duo those guys are. Watching them, uh, who did they – Who the, I forgot who they played, but I was watching them just absolutely beat the brakes off a team recently. And Corey Kispert just seemed like he could not miss from three-point range uh, at all. He, he's a great fundamental basketball player. He's always making the right play. And I think the team is very unselfish. They've got a lot of studs on there, but there's no me guys. You know, they're all sharing the ball and – that's typically not what you see on some of these teams where they've got all these guys, you know, trying to go get theirs. So Gonzaga is a scary good team right now. Um, and I think they're going to, I think it'll be close in the first half probably. And then BYU is just, you know, they, they can't hang with Gonzaga when Gonzaga is, you know, playing for playing for something. Yeah. And I think Gonzaga, it will be too much Gonzaga, too many scoring options that they have and they will overwhelm BYU as you guys talked about, I think in the second half and they will take that game and it will be a big, another big win for Gonzaga where I see them scoring at least 90 points. Uh, we, I want to highlight two more games out of the big 10 uh, this Sunday, two monster games, Ohio state and Rutgers. Josh, I know you're a huge Ohio state fan. They've been playing decent basketball. Obviously, Rutgers is kind of on a tailspin ever since we were very high on them. Uh, who do you guys like, and uh, what's kind of your analysis going into that game? Yeah, so I think something's got to give in this game. Um, this game's on Saturday at 11 a.m., and I think Ohio State really needs to prove that they can go win on the road. They've won against Rutgers at home, of course, in the game we've discussed a little bit. But they lost in a brutal way at Northwestern after that game. And then they got pretty much dismantled this past Sunday in Minneapolis against the Golden Gophers, losing by 17. So if they want to prove that they're going to be a quality contender and not just a bubble team in the Big Ten, they need to go to Piscataway and win this game. For Rutgers, who is also like 
reeling a little bit right now. They had that close loss to Iowa, but then last night looked like they couldn't they couldn't hit anything. They only put 45 points in East Lansing. Michigan State had no problem beating them by 20 plus. So both of these teams are really craving for a win right now. That's the Big Ten. That's how it's going to be. Every single win is going to be difficult. So pulling for the Buckeyes, but it's going to be a close one. I think Rutgers has got this game. I think Rutgers, they were dominating Ohio State in the first game they played, and then Miles Johnson got uh, fouled out on kind of a, a BS foul call, I thought, in my opinion. And then Jacob Young took a really scary fall. Uh, former Texas guy, their point guard, kind of the guy who runs their offense. He took a really scary fall and couldn't get back in the game. And then it was all Ohio State from that moment on. But I think Rutgers, while they had a very weird performance uh, against Michigan State last night, I believe it was, I think that's just one of those where you can just chalk it up, throw away the film. Like, you know, that's just an apparition game. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to come out versus Ohio State and take care of business, especially because they lost that first one to them. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Carter. I think Ron Harper Jr. is going to be the difference maker in this game. And I think because they're at home uh, in Piscataway, New Jersey, that where they love playing at the rack, as uh, my good friend Drew Greenberg knows, a uh, big Rutgers fan, they're going to come out with a lot of energy. They haven't played exceptionally well the last couple of games. They need this win in the Big Ten. You can't go on these big losing streaks. You can't let a one loss affect you because this conference is so tough. I think they're going to be able to pull it out at home and pick up that big win on Saturday uh, against Ohio state. Our last game that we'll talk about here on the show today, Minnesota and Iowa, Minnesota has been one of the feel good stories of the big 10 this year. And in the country, they have a lot of good guard play. Marcus Carr is obviously their star player. Um, they go to Iowa Obviously, Iowa's Final Four potential good and Luke Garza and company. Who do you guys like in this one? And can Minnesota pull off the monster upset against the Hawkeyes of Iowa? I think that Minnesota winning 102 to 95 against Iowa proved that they can put up the scoring prowess that Iowa can. And they're a strong team. Don't get me wrong. I think that they they can put up a fight with just about any team. I could easily see them as a four or five seed come tournament time. I think they're going to get trounced. I think Iowa is going to look back at the tape from that game, say our free throw should have won us this game with a minute left. There is no reason why it should have been that close to begin with. They're going to lock down Marcus Carr. Luka Garza is going to put up 40 and 20. Huh. And they are going to absolutely pound through this Minnesota team. And I mean that by no disrespect. I think Minnesota is fantastic. I just think that Iowa, like you said, is a final four contender this year. And this is the game where they prove that. If Iowa doesn't win versus Minnesota, I have severe reservations about them going into March Madness. If they are truly a final four team, Josh, like you're saying, you think they're going to prove that? They should dominate Minnesota. I mean, they should look at that film, figure out what they did wrong, and then completely dismantle a Minnesota team who I think is overmatched against Iowa. Um, if this game, if Iowa loses this game, that says way more about we need to be worried about Iowa than it does Minnesota is like a for real team because we know Minnesota's for real, but. Iowa is for realer and they are the top dog in the big 10 and it's time they act like it. I think Luca Garza is going to go off. He's going to prove why he was a Naismith player of the year candidate. Not like he hasn't already been doing that. Um, I don't think it's going to be close. Whatever the spread is, Iowa spread. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be easy work for them. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you guys. I think Iowa's going to take this one just because of the game that they kind of just let go a couple weeks ago against Minnesota. It was a game that they should have had, free throws, turnovers at the end. It was a very sloppy finish to a game that they should have won, and they're going to be pissed off about it, and they play at home. They're a Final Four caliber team. I think they're going to be mad and hungry about this game against the Golden Gophers. Don't get me wrong. Minnesota's a great team, but I think Iowa will take this one. But I want to thank Carter. I want to thank Josh for being on our first show of 2021. Uh, it's great talking college basketball. We're getting into the meat of conference play. It's very exciting. 
And as my good friend John Rothstein says, stay positive, test negative. We will see you next time.